Good afternoon. We are uh, here. It's METV, METV Live, METV, METV. I'm saying that right. We are uh, today's guests, uh, you know, hello, Heather, and, and Dave is in the building. Um, we're waiting on uh, David Greenwood to sign in. Hold on one second. Heather, could you please say? A good day, good people. It's so awesome to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Um, I know our topic is how men can help stop violence and uh, kind of what that means to me just starting off is that um, when we say that men can help stop violence, that means that there's a solution and that that solution is largely going to come from our men. And so I'm really looking to uh, talk to the men today, Calvin and Dave and Dave, uh, just to be able to uh, see and hear their thoughts on what men can do. And then, of course, I'm going to offer the follow-up support about what women and mothers in particular can do. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Awesome, awesome. Um, Dave, how are you doing today? Well, great, great, great. Excited about learning what my man, uh, fellow David, will bring. Oh, there we go. Sure awesome. I'm the right stuff to say, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, David is, uh, or Greenwood is, he having a, a hard time signing in. Um, let me see if I can't get him. Get him in here. Um, but meanwhile, I mean, we can we can. Uh, yeah, you can start. Look at uh, one of the first topics around um, how men can help stop violence is really around gun violence, and so I know there are a lot of um, a lot of thoughts and opinions and um, issues around uh, guns and gun violence, and I think that um, having this conversation. It's a really important thing to do that, you know, you continue to have those conversations with different levels of insight. So um, personally, I, I believe just as our constitutional right, that you should be able to take advantage of that. But with that, I believe that there should be some education attached to it. I know that there are um, when you are um, given access to guns, that, that one of the processes is that you take uh, a gun safety class. Uh, I, I'm not sure about how many people feel that that's necessary or, you know, what are the circumstances for people not attending that, that class or, um, you know, the different uh, requirements around the different types of guns, whether it's acceptable or not. I believe that, uh, Dave, you have some insight about this this topic, about the, the process of getting guns, and do you have some information about that or knowledge yeah, about that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, they now put out these classes for CCWs, and uh, they technically should teach you, uh, you know, we don't call them guns, weapons, uh, safety class for weapons, but, uh, you know, that's a choice. Uh, and I guess somewhere along the line, I don't know when this was passed or approved, when they started letting people have the CCW, uh, at least here in Michigan. I know in Texas it was a little earlier. So it's important, though, that you get the gun safety class because there are a lot of things to the weapon that people do not entertain, such as just putting having the safety on itself. 
many right. people lost their lives just because they didn't utilize the safety. I and was, many uh, children uh, as well, right? Yes, I lost a dear friend's uh, a son to that. He had bought himself a weapon and actually was doing so well to become a truck driver. And in the process of cleaning his own weapon, he shot himself. Oh, so wow. he forgot about the round in the chamber. Wow. Uh, so, 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 you know, gun violence is really significant. I'll be real brief on this. I've always had this philosophy because I live, breathe, and eat with my weapon in the military. I slept with my weapon. Everywhere I went, my weapons, I should say, was with me. I felt uncomfortable when I came out of the Army and didn't have my weapon by my side. Right. However, I really believe that weapons are not your problem. Mm. Weapons are like alcohol. If you put it on the table and leave it there to sit there for the next 50 years. The problem is the people and not understanding the importance and the significance of a weapon. Mm. So and that's... Something we have to look at and changing the hearts and minds of how people view weapons. Right. So, um, I'm not a part of the group, uh, the, uh, I'm blocking the name up now, so I won't even quote it. Uh, but the individuals, everything is a rifle association, I'm blocking it now. But uh, I'm not a part of that group, you know, who really fights so people have the right to use the weapon. Right. But I think it's important to recognize that even though you have a right, there's a right way to utilize weapons. And so the the same laws I understand are, don't uh, are not the same laws for um, what you do on your own property and with rifles, right? You could you can purchase that at Walmart. I mean, you could you can purchase you know a number of uh, weapons at uh, Walmart right over the counter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can get them at, at will, you know. Mm. And, and, and funny enough, again, you can go in some areas, like when I lived in Wisconsin, for example, uh, most people had a whole arsenal of, of weapons, you know, uh, and they boys would probably learn to use them early, like eight and nine. Mm -hmm. uh, so and then when they got of age, like I think that at that time, they could go and get their weapons. But by the end, these kids understood the importance of what a weapon was, what right. the safety so it's a mindset. You know. you Absolutely, it's mindset. And, it, and it's part of the education that is available to people. And I we call that uh, um, acceptable culture. Um, you know, in, in some families, it's acceptable culture. It's, it's nothing for them to handle guns and clean them and go hunt or go, you know, target practice. And, and that's part of their family acceptable culture. Mm -hmm. the, I think the challenge comes in when we take our beliefs outside of our acceptable culture and put it in mainstream and then everybody is not sharing the same level of acceptable culture yeah that 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 being the case so so uh david greenwood is in um welcome dave thank you calvin good good, good. good afternoon everybody hey dave. how you doing yeah, we good, have good. a Dave and a David on the line. So. Right. <laughs> you can call me either. It just doesn't matter. Just don't call me late. <laughs> right, right. So we have our, our Dave, our, our Dr. Dave, soon to be Dr. Dave, and then we have our David Greenwood. So maybe we can use that as a distinction. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Okay. So so we were getting into the conversation, Dave, and welcome. Um we were getting into the conversation um, about the same topic we were discussing before and how men can help stop the violence, right, um, where it's important that we do so. And, and so I want to take it from 
um, the area for which uh, you spoke about. And first of all, tell everybody what you do and, and really how important you are um, as both a, a director and a father, for most importantly, a father. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I'll start from uh, that. I am a father of a, I'm a, a girl dad. I have a 17 year old uh, daughter. And uh, growing up in a family of four, I grew up in a family of four. It was always imposed upon me by my father to be a leader in the community. Um, my dad was my little league coach, uh, one of my little league coaches in Detroit Powell. And uh, after a 28-year career in the fire service, uh, I took on the role as director of athletics programs and operations here at Detroit Powell. Um, it's more than just a little league youth organization where they're playing sports. This is a, an opportunity to introduce kids who may not have that strong father figure uh, in their life. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time going through it, my dad served as a surrogate father or a surrogate uh, positive black role model in many of my friends' lives that didn't have positive black men uh, in their household. And so um, as I got older, I saw the importance of having that as so many of my friends uh, went in a different direction uh, because of the having lacking that uh, assistance and that what I like to say that strong black belt that was be always following behind my decision uh, as a child as a kid as a teenager my father helped steer some of my, my my decisions and I later would grow into understanding the importance of making sound decisions and trying to do the very best we can because growing up in the 70s and 80s as as I think most of us did, uh, we, we had a lot of potholes. And today, those potholes are magnified in the craters uh, in terms of the things that, that our youth uh, can get into that will sidetrack them forever. So um, I'm, I'm very happy and pleased and, and uh, excited about the role that I'm in and the position that I'm able to share um, you know, with other uh, black males in our community and stressing the importance, like Calvin and I always talk about, you know, the, the mentoring process. Um, we're not just mentoring kids. We, we're, in, we're really mentoring uh, some grown folks that lack that male mentoring, um, you know, coming up as kids in the city of Detroit. So I think it's important that we give back from that perspective and look at both, um, you know, the black men that are out here as well as uh, serving our, our youth. Awesome. Right. And so we want to pick this topic up. Uh... And we moved it. We started out in gun violence as we were working to get you on. And Dave, Dave has said some things about, and they were having a discussion how easy it is to get guns, right? So moving past the gun violence, because we understand that the gun violence automatically impacts us across the board. Um, as a matter of fact, as I was telling before, in 2014 in the Men's Issue Conference, we discovered that black and brown males handle the guns more than anybody in the world, right? We impact each other. Mm -hmm. um, in the gun usage more than anybody in the world. The other um, aspects about uh, the gun violence, they were talking about access, how you can go into a store, go across the counter, you can get any gun because the right to bear arms, you can. It's, it's a legal law. You can have a shotgun in the house. I mean, that's just the way it is. You're entitled to that. Uh, I'm sure there are some other laws that allow you to have firearms in the house to protect your uh, your family. Uh, but we, um, and, and this is between us, I, I wanted to have the conversation because we've been having this on how men can impact how we can stop 
uh, some of the violence. You know, I know a lot of people do their thing. I, I don't knock the marches. I'm not knocking how, you know, those types of things. I'm saying that just like this podcast, we're talking in terms of solutions. So, right, because who's being impacted? For example, David Patterson, what are some of the things you know about domestic violence? Well, I know that domestic violence usually stimulates from a lack of family unity. I know that domestic violence usually stimulates from a lot of underlying anger. I know that domestic violence usually stimulates from people not engaging in effective communication. I know that domestic violence has affected uh, a mass amount of households because of that lack of communication. I know domestic violence has a tendency to go from generation to generation and the list go on and on and on. So with that being said, so domestic violence is another thing that we have to deal with where men um, are both uh, we're both applying and being affected across the board by um, domestic violence. Uh, Heather, is there something you'd like to add to the domestic violence? Well, I, you know, one thing I, I think is important is that typically we have the mindset that it's an act perpetrated from men to women, but that that is not always the case. There is also violence from women toward men. And I think um, that it does come from uh, a, a generational influence. It comes from underlying issues. I call them strongholds um, that happen. And I see that uh, women have a huge part of the responsibility of dealing with our strongholds so that we can help our families be healthy. Okay. Um, Brother Greenwood, is there any piece you'd like to add to domestic violence? Because as we move swiftly into this uh, restoring families and solutions, that, that's where it gets juicy for me. <laughs> He's frozen for some reason. Okay. Okay. Might be... Okay. So um, the one thing about domestic violence that I um, continues to come about is the uh, really the 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 anger, right, for which is applied. Like it's uh, it's it's very spooky how we're able to isolate someone and then uh, try to force them into a decision. They, the abuser themselves don't even realize um, what they're saying and doing. The only thing they're trying to do is control something because they lack a whole bunch of other things. Um, and I've seen it on, on so many levels uh, that it is spooky. But getting to uh, coming down the pipe, we're getting to the restoring, the restoration of families, right? As we, uh, if we want, you were saying the types of domestic violence, Heather, if you can uh, share that. Well, I mean, one of the the ways that it's expressed, it's and it can be used as a form of manipulation, but also that verbal abuse is a part of that whole domestic violence uh, component. So how you say what you say, uh, what you're trying to coerce someone into doing, whether they want to do it or not, or the way that they do it, 
it's part of the violence. I mean, you can you your words can be violent. You know, um, words that uh, one we know that words are power. So how you use those words impact your children from the womb to birth throughout their lives. And there there's been a lot of verbal violence. Um, that falls up under domestic violence. I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we heard sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never harm you. That is a falsehood. We know that if if you're constantly barraged by words, negative words, negative thoughts, negative phrases, to be surrounded by that. And I'm just going to give you this one quick example. One of my favorite movies is The Golden Child with uh, Eddie Murphy. And it, at one of the scenes it, that this child, who's supposed to bring love into the world, by the way, um, that he's surrounded by words. And the idea of surrounding him by negative words was to pull and to have him um, uh, degrade himself so that evil could come into him. So they surrounded him by evil words. They put it, they chanted, they wrote it down. They were surrounding him with evil words. But he was able to be disciplined enough and committed enough not to take those words in. And our children don't have that type of discipline yet. They they come into the world being open and receptive to everything that they're hearing. So the violence in our words, whether it's arguing, whether it's uh, negative words or phrases, whether it's uh, you you know defaming someone or telling them that what they're not or not capable of, those are still forms of violence. You'll never be this. That's a form of violence. It, it, it's another way to take in a, a, a evil expression that can change the trajectory of our children and. I believe the violent words that have been spoken over our children in their lives from the womb forward is a part of the violence that we're seeing in our young people today. So I think that's um, I think that's one of the ways that together people recognizing their words. We had a whole season of the secret and how the law of attraction works and speaking positive affirmations and mindfulness. All of those things are a, a, a new culture. Well, not so new, but a new culture, a new way to help people to reduce the amount of verbal violence that we're expressing toward one another. It, it, it's heavy. Um, it, it's very heavy. And, and, and so like David, David has been uh, dealing with this. So, so David Greenwood, if you can share um, what you're saying, and, and this is when we're talking domestic violence, we're, you know, we're talking publicly, visibly, you know, feels, you know, you're seeing it daily. Um, if you can share uh, some of the things you have seen in the domestic violence form of words with parents and in, 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 uh, publicly. Yeah. Um, can everybody still hear me? I have some yes. technical difficulties there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, in the in the realm in the world of youth sports, uh, we see a lot of that that violence that you speak of. I, I'm getting some feedback here. You hear that? Okay. So yeah, yeah we get we get a lot of um, um, negative affirmations, and you know, really um, combative conversations between. Our, our adults that are participating, their kids are participating in our programs. And so um, coaches are now uh, at odds with one another. They're at odds with the parents. Um, and parents are at odds with children. And it's a constant um, merry-go-round of uh, conflict 
and and verbal assaults on one another on a constant basis. We see that at Little League, and actually we're seeing it throughout sports now. We're seeing it all the way from Little League all the way up through the pro ranks of these negative uh, you know, conversations and fights and arguments and really uh, you know, adults engaging in childlike behavior of name-calling and things like that to agitate, to irritate, to instigate um, you know, further altercation. And social media has played a large part in this. On any given, you know, weekday, we can at Detroit Pal, Detroit Police Athletically, we can monitor some of the interactions between these adults on social media, and we can almost anticipate uh, where these altercations are going to occur based on the conversations that we're seeing, negative conversations and adversarial conversations that are being uh, exchanged between parents and coaches. And so um, it, it's almost a, a, a negative um, cancel culture of I'm going to destroy you verbally before you can you know, succeed. And no one wants to see anybody else win without, without them. And it, it's just a very adversarial conversation that's had over the over a period of a season for us. In particular, it's uh, we see it most in youth football and cheer. Um, it, you have to break someone down in order to build yourself up. And that those are the negative um, things that I'm seeing with Detroit youth sports. So that that in itself is is tough, right? That's a tough um, that's a, a tough, tough thing, right, for a kid, right? Because what happens is, is the kid. Now, we we, we just talking domestic violence. We're not mm-hmm. looking at it in terms of the man on the woman or whatever. We're saying as the parent engages, parent engagement, Domestically, in front of their children, kids learn this behavior. It's the same thing we're talking about when the when the kids getting dropped off to school. You can smell the weed coming out the car, right? Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's domestic violence, right? Um, when you are absolutely abusing and cussing your child out, they're not even four or five. We were having this discussion earlier today, right? Where you're punching a child and you're telling them that they're not valuable and you ain't going to be nothing. Or when we start labeling our boys that they're bad from the word go. Now, parenting is a teacher's job. And what is happening is that we no longer want to teach the very fundamentals that is needed, right? We don't no longer because guess what? We're coming from unbalanced environments. And so because the unbalanced environment, it will lead to uh, the rest of this conversation will lead to that solution. But the unbalanced environment, verbal, uh, the little boy, he's being cussed out. The little girl, she's being cussed out. Right. Um, I remember a couple of years ago where uh, I know someone who was, you know, working in the field and a parent comes completely across the field. And cussed their son up and down the field, and, and, and he had been trained with us, and he, he said, hey, we don't do that to kids. We're not here. I don't hear that. I don't, you know, it's your son or not. That's not how you talk to this kid in front of everybody else. You, you're tearing them down. And what happens is, is that we have gotten so used to thinking that that's the right way, that that is the beginning of domestic violence. Right there. We start right at our kids' feet. If I can just jump in real quick on that, and you're absolutely right. It, it's it's learned behavior, but we're, we're dealing with generations now that don't know. There, there's there's the old saying, if you knew better, you'd do better. Well, most of the people that we're dealing with right now, they never knew better. Be, otherwise, they would do better. They were never taught the difference between, um, you know, having some positive conf- uh, confirmations or affirmations and conversations with, with one another. That is what they grew up on. They grew up in a very negative 
um, adversarial com- conversation in you know a household where it, when I when I was a kid, and I, maybe I'm speaking for other people on the call as well. When I was a kid, there were grown folk conversations and there were ch- ch- conversations for children. And we weren't always allowed in the room when these conversations would be had between grown folk. And our elders would often say, get out of grown folks business. Right. And you can could not be in their conversations. Those are not being had now. The adults in, in the rooms that I see today in the little league organizations that I see today, they're having those conversations. They're smoking that marijuana. They're all of those things. The cousin we knew at, at, at a point in time during our childhood that. If you were going to be someone who cursed, you only did it in certain environments. Uh, if, if you were a guy, you cur- cussed around guys. You didn't cuss around girls. You didn't cuss around elderly. You didn't cuss around women. You didn't. It, it, it was just a, uh, a sense of boundaries that existed within our community. Those boundaries, those lines have all been blurred and, and in some cases totally erased. And so all of these conversations, adult conversations are being had by um, you know, kids, kids are in, involved in these conversations and they're having to be exposed to things. You mentioned talking about coming to school smelling, smelling like marijuana. The kids are growing up with this that that they don't know any different. They don't know that there's a, a, a different option, or a better way. They haven't been exposed to it. So it's our job, really, that the silent people that have been silent on the standing on the sideline, not saying anything in fear of. Uh, some some retribution or some kind of adversarial response from the other side has got to stop. We have to stand up and start speaking out against the parents and, and the people who are doing these things and engaging in these negative attitudes and actions and behaviors that are bleeding into our children. Otherwise, we're going to keep you're going to keep growing that 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 culture of negativity and, and adversarial conversations and fights that lead to stabbings and shootings and so on and so forth that I see it every day. If I, if, Oh my God, if I, if I didn't see it every day, I wouldn't be here. So that brings us to the point. Um, you, you, you've, you, we've been watching it, right? Um, I, I, I said, uh, it's funny today when somebody like you've been doing this 37 years. Yeah, I was 20. I saw it then. Like, you know, where was I going to find a niche? Or I didn't know God was going to turn it into purpose, but, you know, I saw it then. I, I mean, I experienced it. I experienced it the adults taking things away from children. I seen that, right? I I experienced that on a, on a, a completely different level. I experienced engagement with adults that's different today. Today now is way different. I mean, you would get the advice. Hey, man, don't do that. Just stay out the way. Uh, uh, go this way. Uh, here, I got a connection for you over here. Now is 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 not that right. And but you, it, there are pockets where it is working, where people are uh, do hold a standard. Uh, and you are in this situation. You're dealing in the community, in the communities where is not as much of an education, uh, where we understand that literacy is an issue. We understand that. Uh, the, the broken homes is an issue. We understand that there's um, unnecessary beefing over the child, right? Who loves the child more and all of that. But we need to get to a place of maturity, right? And so that's going to move us right into uh, restoring families because that's the work we do. That's the thing that you've been doing. That's the thing that we have to do, right, uh, and move in restoring families because in in the restoration of family, uh, we all got to take a better look and a, a, a deeper dive. 
um, at what is acceptable culture for your family. We got to take a deeper dive at that. We got to take a deeper look. Like, what are you? What is really having success for your child um, from the word go? Um, and I think that's where we're missing, right? Because you know, it's interesting that when, like you say, whenever we excuse me, we bring up the conversation black on black crime or anything like that, everybody's like, we the only ones that well understand that um, the violent crimes uh, happens in three seconds, four seconds. Three minutes, uh, half a minute, like violent crimes happen quick, right? So those crimes are on the news. Uh, well, uh, plot out plans, deeply intricate plans. Those plans, uh, those cases are on Dateline, right? <laughs> you know, 60 minutes. You see what I'm saying? Um, there's a difference um, in in how who's who's being highly affected by this, right? So uh, just a, a few points. Then when you snatch a father out of a kid's life, and, I, and I'm going to be clear with this when I say this, David, and so you don't have to take this. This is just me speaking. I said it. I continue to say it, and I'm going to keep preaching it. Not we got things backwards. When you remove a father out of a child's life, you expose him to every bad element the system has to offer. Period. Girl or boy. And to, to bring that all the way across the board and into his truth and his fact, um, the black male and the black female are the most incarcerated youth. Now, we can blame that. Uh, we can say the system is in there, right? But for some strange reason, the kids uh, over the last 37 years I had has avoided that process. So I'm, I'm trying to understand what is the difference, right? Um, how can we avoid just that, you know? Um, the other part is, um, Heather, if you can take the setting the boundaries portion, because the acceptable uh, culture is is that's a that's a hard pill to swallow. It's very hard to swallow. So let me step back and just so that we're on the same page about what we mean by acceptable culture. Acceptable culture is it's a, a a mindset that begins at home, and it is the things that exist in your household that everybody seems to agree to in your household that then expands outside of your household, maybe your block, your workplace, your community, your school, it starts to expand and it starts to engulf more people. Now, the acceptable culture, um, it doesn't have to be negative or positive, but what we find is that those things that are negative seem to, it seems to, to uh, graft in more people. And so you can look at that, and if when it's grafted in by a particular area or culture, it then is grafted in in social media. It is then grafted in in entertainment. So then it becomes more and more acceptable as it's exposed to more and more people. And so that works both on the on the positive side and on the negative side. So we have to embrace acceptable culture by setting boundaries and expectations. So those boundaries, and I know uh, David mentioned this earlier too, we have to set those boundaries. And so who is responsible for setting those boundaries? The, I think those who are responsible for setting the boundaries are those who set the controls for certain environments. So you set the boundary as a school, but you set that boundary as a classroom. You set that boundary as a parent group. You set that boundary as what happens on the, and if you have to put up 
signs to say these are the things that are acceptable um, in this classroom. And you see that with classroom teachers, right? You see that um, on school grounds. When you come to school, so for those schools that have metal detectors, acceptable culture is to curb the idea of uh, bringing in weapons. And so that's a way that we can curb acceptable culture. We have to speak to what we want, not what we don't want. We want safe spaces so that we need to affirm safe spaces. We talked about uh, using words as violence and being verbally violent. The opposite of that is is the affirmations, the positive words that we pull, pull and pour into others. So how do we combat that? We have to put something more positive in. When we see our boys or our girls going a different way, we have to pour into them the expectation, not what we don't want. Part of what we have to do is set that boundary by also setting that example. And so when we talk about expectations, if you want your boys to act a certain way, then the men around them have to act a certain way. And then the women around them have to have the expectation that they act a certain way. When it becomes acceptable is when either one of those part, those important people, those important parts of this, this conversation decide that that's not important. So, so in setting these boundaries, and thank you, in, in setting these boundaries, um, uh, David Patterson, in setting the boundaries, um, give us a couple of examples of a good way to set uh, a, a quality family boundary. One of the things you have, since you're thinking of family, one of the things you have to do is be open to teaching certain terminology, uh, such as respect, such as value, certain importance on each member in the family. You have to set up certain terms because, again, the problem that we see is that terminology today has changed. It is so broad that it has no significant uh, importance. So setting up boundaries means that family members have to sit down and communicate in a way to understand the words that they are using as the man said, you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. A lot of people are hearing the words, but they don't understand the words. Mm-hmm. And so when you have people who have different, mixed, sending out mixed messages, then you run into difficulty of developing a strong foundation that even boundaries mean anything. You know, you can't tell your child that, well, don't, back in the day we used to have a fence you couldn't go past or you had to be in before the street lights went off. These were boundaries, and it was universal in that household. It wasn't just universal in the household. It was universal in the community. And if you talk to most people growing up in the 60s and the 70s, they knew that that, that fence you couldn't go past. They knew you better be in the house before the street light came on. Those boundaries were set. But somewhere along the line, the communication got broken because, again, you know, we like to use the word freedom. You know, you know, I, I got my rights. I have freedom. But freedom comes with a cost. And we're seeing the cost because we gave people who were not, uh, uh, how should I say, mature enough to understand what freedom meant. So, therefore, you allow them to go out and spread these mixed messages, and then you get a lot of confusion. And so this is what we're seeing across the board. You know, I mean, you, you talk to a young guy now, you know, you're going to respect me. Well, if, if you don't even know what that word means, then you're going to have a challenge with trying to really push those boundaries. So and it's important that we develop a level of effective communication. And that starts with literacy, you know, teaching young people how to read. I mean, I sit down with our boys and I can see they can't even read the basic words. 
I mean, simple things is this and that and man, and these are three and four letter words. So how can you effectively develop boundaries when the words that you use don't even have a real meaning to them? So in order to set these boundaries, we have to, and this is the other part that comes with boundaries, continuity. You have to be consistent when you set boundaries, whether it's with children, whether it's with husband and wife, whether whoever you communicate with, you have to be consistent about the boundaries you set because otherwise it just gets diluted. And this is why we see a lot of psychological violence because, again, most of the time the violence begins with how we communicate with each other. So setting these boundaries comes with really being able to to be consistent and develop a way of termin- develop the terminology needed that everybody understands what it means. David, thank you. David Greenwood, what kind of boundaries can we help you set uh, to help you get a, a better student or a kid into your program? What kind of boundaries do you think we can set to help? Well, I, I think uh, what Dave uh, talked about, Dr. Dave just talked about um, the, the understanding of the terminology respect. I hear that so often um, in, in our community, in the sport, you sport. Uh, why were you mad? Uh, he, he disrespected me. What, what did he do? What did she do? How they disrespected me. And and they are willing to carry um the, the consequences of being disrespected all the way to the extent of, you know, some type of violent behavior that often ends in, you know, it could end in gun violence, right? And it, it, it's something there where people are feeling so, quote unquote, disrespected that they're willing to go to the end of the earth to um, seek some type of redemption and, and, and you know, uh, seeking of their their respect and i'm i'm saying you know it was it's, he called your name and he was disrespected and you're willing to take someone's life or cause somebody great bodily harm for that if we could fix that if we could cure that on a youth level of where kids did not take it so i hate to say it just seriously uh that they're their respect was not worn on their shoulder, on their sleeve, and and taken so easily uh, from them. They're so offended so easily. We we would be in a better situation, but it's because of it's all learned behavior. It's behavior that's either learned or not learned. The, the positive things that they should be learning at home aren't being taught, aren't being learned, and so as a result, we we got a lot of kids out here that are you know duplicating and reacting in the same way that they see their parents doing it. And when I see coaches having the same kind of conflict, I say, no wonder that's where it's coming from. And so at PAL, we're very intentional about like our impact training of how to be better coaches, be better mentors and be better role models. And when I say be better coaches, I'm not talking about X's and O's. I'm talking about how um, they're viewed, understanding, getting them to understand how they're being uh, viewed by our kids. There's nothing more precious than seeing a kid absorb the goodness out of an adult or absorb the goodness out of a situation and replicate it. Well, they're absorbing everything, whether it's good or bad. And you will see that that uh, mirrored behavior back and forth, whether it's good or bad, because kids will do what they see every day. And unfortunately, we have far too many of us, especially black men, there's black women that are doing negative things that are being absorbed by our children and it's being uh, repeated on a constant basis. So if we can fix that level of quote unquote respect, 
Um, I think you you'll do away with a lot of the you know senseless violence. Every time there's a violent behavior that I see that makes the news, you talk about it being on 60 Minutes. Go to local local TV, and every time, just first ask yourself. Name one good reason why that happened. And you can't come up with one good reason. The only reason I can say is a self-defense type uh, situation. But most of the time, these are not situations of self-defense. There are far too many guns, uh, you know, in our communities. And there, there's more guns than there are people in this world now. So, um, you know, there's no cause for it. There's no reason for it. You want to protect yourself, get a shotgun. You want to protect your household, get a shotgun. You want to go hunting, get a hunting rifle. But all of the rest of the stuff, we, we really don't need it. But until we're honest with ourselves to have these critical conversations about what's really needed in this world and stop talking about my rights. I got, you know, my my constitutional right, my Second Amendment right says I can bear arms. You have to look at the root of how all of that came about to really understand why the Second Amendment was was actually created, but it, it does, the the way that we use it today has been taken totally out of context for the reason why it was created in the first place. And so, for me, it's it's really about looking at the black community, looking at the city of Detroit, and and the people that look like us, and saying, do we need? Is this what is good for us? It's not good for us, but we continue to divulge and, and dig into and dive into this negative culture, this negative atmosphere, all of these disrespectful type of behaviors. And until we until we really have these conversations, nothing's going to change. So awesome. Thank you. What were you about to say? I, I, I want to say that we can't forget that we have uh, tools on multiple levels to implement. So one is our prevention tools. Uh, those prevention tools is what starts with uh, new parent classes, uh, how to be a mom, how to be a dad, how to deal with your newborn. Like like you take the, and, and, and this is funny to me because not a lot of people do this anymore, but taking the Lamaze classes to prepare for childbirth. The extension of that should also be the things that affect your child while your child is in the womb. Those things, that education is preventive, and we need to do more of that and teach more of that prior to a person giving birth. Um, and it needs to go even more. It, uh, you know, home economics was taken out of the classroom, was taken out of the school, was taken out of education for a lot of people, for a lot of school systems. But it's so key to, be, to our life skills and foundation. Like, we had to learn some basic things to give us value when they removed those things from the schools they also took the value of what you could do what you were what you were um what you were capable of you i mean they've taken wood shop out i mean there's so many things that gave you a sense of value when you were growing up that are preventive that were preventive in nature mm -hmm. so you got to you had a chance they, they've taken art out of out of schools so now, what other things do you have to show you your value? So there's some preventive things that we can do. That's policy. We have an election coming up tomorrow. We have to vote. So we have to vote for those people who have us, the, the values that we want to see who help us address the policy issues, not the, not the personal issues that one person fell short this place in their lives. And now we're going to put that on. We need to have those people who 
are interested, those politicians, and I know this is a big, big ask, but interested in those people who are looking to help us put policy in place to help us restore families, not to separate them. And so we have to work in this preventive mindset, but we also have to work in this intervention. We have to be in the mindset of what we can do now to stop it. And so that is, again, changing what's acceptable in acceptable culture. We have to start moving toward those things. And then the final thing is, what are we working for? We have to have a a, a goal in mind. So we're talking about, and, and encourage me, I'm young, we're talking about our goal being the restoration of families. And what that means for us is understanding boundaries, acceptable culture, and what the end goal is. We want our children to make it to a legacy. We don't want them to leave leave this existence at age five and age 11, which is high in suicide for our boys. We, we, we want them to see the fruits of their own joy. That is their children, their grandchildren, and we are losing our families. So I think that we're losing us ourselves and in ourselves because we don't have an end goal. There's nobody focusing really on an end goal. We see that in how we treat our elders. We see that in what happens to our seniors. Who wants to go there? Who wants to be, uh, you know, mistreated and and placed in a, a, a solitary environment where you're not connecting and you're not living life to your fullness? Who wants to live long enough to see that? So we have to look at at our prevention and intervention, but also we have to look at that end goal. What is it that we want to see, not just in this generation, but the next? And I think if we start focusing on a goal, a shared goal across communities, then we'll actually have some answers and we'll have the the insights, we'll have the motivation to make the changes that are needed. But we have to have that end goal in mind. Thank you. So, so with that being said, these last few minutes, um, we're looking for the tips of solutions. First of all, I want to say we are we feel like we're ahead in this game. And, and so I'm going to invite you, David Greenwood, to become a partner to our Emmy National Respect Day for April 6th, where we have impacted thousands of students. And we could use a strong uh, look and, and help, right, because the our Respect Day is about respect me, respect you, respect we. Reteaching respect is huge. Um, we did it so much so that uh, DPS then came up with an idea to do something different. Um, we get the performances out of the kids. We get the community, and it rallies, and these kids feel much better, and it instantly the environment changes. So that's one thing that I want to look at. Um, I just want to add, and the change is because they feel value. They feel value. So the things that the art that has been taken out of school, they have an opportunity to express themselves, to be creative and to create value and the message that they understand about what respect means for them and to them. They are telling us what respect means to them. And so we have to pay attention. And with with that, uh, we know that it is an impact of violence because the identity of the, the shirt from Respect Day is worn throughout that summer and kids see each other in that. And it's a, a different interaction with our kids because what is happening is, is our kids are not just, we're reducing our kids uh, cons consistently in our actions. The, the other thing is, 
Uh, what do we want to see differently? Well, we, we want to see two-parent households. Um, we want to see uh, healthy fatherhood and healthy fathers involved. We want the kids and the parents to know that uh, around just knowing that this is their father, right? We want the men to know that they're very, very valued as a father, right? We need that to be a, a, a signature piece. But um, I'm going I'm to start with you, uh, David Greenwood. Give us two things you'd like to see different um, and as our time is winding down. Give us two quick things that you'd like to see different um, um, in, from your uh, community. Well, I would love to see, um, kind of just spoke on some of it. Um, I would love to see us value um, our elderly in a, in, a, in a greater way. And I would love to see us um, emphasize the importance of respecting one another. So um, I, there's too many times that I see, you know, our elderly being uh, disrespected and not valued in our community. And so I would love to see that change. And I would love to see, uh, you know, us figure out a way to um, have, have our kids and our, and, our, and our elders work in the same space. Awesome. David Patterson, two quick things that uh, uh, you'd like to see differently. Yeah, I like for to see in the community and in the families we teach uh, safe and healthy relationships. Where we teach effective communication with the social emotional learning pro with social learning, social emotional learning programs, which you know life is emotional intelligence, and then create a productive environment where we would modify the physical and social environments in our neighborhood. Uh, I think those things are significant and start off about back in the day in the neighborhood you knew your boundaries. You respected the people in the community, and they they demand respect, but with a healthy level of respect, because they understood the importance of that word. Not just something you shoot around, but something that had an effect on me. Awesome. Heather, two quick things you'd like to see differently. Oh, quick. Um, so <laughs> That's not very well for me. Okay, so one, I'd like to see us uh, look toward the future as a community goal. I think if you have a goal that you're striving for, and everyone is on one accord, then you can change the things that happen to reach that goal. So that's one. Um, the second thing is that I would like to see more, more opportunities to add value to people's lives. Um, and I think that starts, I actually believe that, I know it starts at home, but when you don't have that available, the one thing you have consistent is school. I think that will drive kids back to school, back to education, but there's some specific things that we have to, to upload in them while they're in that environment. So school and then legacy. So, yes. Real quick, uh, Heather touched on something earlier about uh, voting and what have you. It's, it's, it's nice to vote, but I wish we could get it out that when we vote for these particular candidates, that we begin to hold them accountable. See, most of the time they come in, they shake hands, kiss babies, shake hands with grandparents and do all these nice things. They get into office with a lot of promises they made, and then they're not held accountable. There's no report card for them. They only return back again two, three, four years, or whatever it is, uh, to come back and start campaigning again. Until we as voters hold them accountable, that they have to give us a fact sheet of what they said they were going to do and tell us why and why not. This is just going to be on a continuum. So I think it's so important. If we want to see our communities change, things, policy change, we need to hold the politicians and be accountable to well, Dave, I'm 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 gonna 
I'm gonna uh, agree with you. I, but what I'm I'm gonna say is some of our bigger problems um, in this process are the gatekeepers, um, and not just the gatekeepers. The people that get into these rooms and decide that they're only the nepotism and the cronyism. Um, it's a it's a huge issue. But far as things that we can control, the two things I most definitely uh, believe we have to do. The very first thing as a community we have to do, we have to value fatherhood. And it's very hard. I get it. It's because centuries they put the, the mom and the voice above the father to reduce it to where it is. So the, me, uh, my challenge is raising the value of the father where everyone that's biblical, turning the hearts of the children to the father and the hearts of the father to the children. Um, so that's one, right? For me, I think the number one standard we need to have is understanding how important fatherhood is. Um, the, the second component, um, the, the second thing I'd like to see more than anything is I'd like to see education, literacy across the board that we teach our children particularly our boys, to read by the age of four. I think every household, every community, um, uh, every situation, every time a boy is born, I think the very first thing we have to teach him is how to read by the age of four, unlocking his cognitive ability before it is damaged by the lack. So those are the two things that I think are very, very important to shifting uh, and restoring family, moving us to uh, another level. And because we are down to the wire, um, you each have 30 seconds. Uh, we'll start with you, Heather. Um, where can they meet you, greet you, or see you? Um, of course, we got an event next uh, Monday. We're bringing in uh, Andre Nichols to talk about the state of education. That's going to be an impactful show because Andre is going to bring the information that we always want. Uh, Heather? Um, you can reach me at yourinspiredjourney.com or you can reach me by phone at 313-759-7855. Brother Dave Patterson, where can we reach you at? You can reach me at David FMAM, which means for men, about men, Patterson, at uh, Facebook, FB, or you can reach me at DROME7, D-E-R-O-M-E, 7 at yahoo.com, or by phone, 608-843-0875. So, David Greenwood, we appreciate you coming on, man. Tell everybody where you can be seen, greeted, and meet, and, and can get in contact with you, brother. I really appreciate you for coming on. Oh, it's no problem. Glad to be here. Uh, you can reach me anytime at uh, D, as in David, Greenwood at DetroitPal.org. That's D Greenwood at DetroitPal.org. You can reach me by phone at area code 313-833-1600, extension 245. That's at the corner ballpark down at 1680 Michigan Avenue, um, Detroit, Michigan, 48216. Thank you. Thank you all. So, one of the things that we often talk about since we've been doing this podcast, you'll be able to go back. We have not shifted our direction. Our direction is every bit of solution and everything that we talk about is to the restoration of family. We will increase our audience. Uh, we are moving toward another level. But I got to say this until we decide that the boy child is just as valuable 
then the man will become valuable, then the husband will become valuable, and then the father will become valuable, and then our families will be restored to its proper order. We have lost our way in many ways when we think, ah, he's just a father. There's so much you lose in that. And so I'm saying to you as I speak, because I know uh, I'm not getting off this horn. I'm going to keep blowing it. I'm in front of your house blowing a horn. I know you're coming out, but that's me on the horn leaning and telling you. Your father, your father, the father is very, very important into stopping this violence. And, and, and back in the day, we used to call them softback. <laughs> they used to say so many words back in the day about Men is just crazy. Uh, all men are valuable, and uh, we can help uh, you uh, as well get you who you need to be and be who you need to be and see things differently. Uh, if you're interested, you know, hit us up. We're looking for more men. We're going to be in three locations mentoring in 2023, and we need more fathers who are willing to step up and help these boys. With that being said, God bless you. And encourage me, I'm young. Please put your family first.